0: So first of all, my wife obviously is not going to say this herself, but really uh, a round of applause for my wife. She put in a lot of work to do this. This was not not easy to put together. Obviously, she had help from from uh, many of you as well. But uh, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, so a big thank you to uh, to the Revitson. Thank you for everything that you do. And she really, I'll tell you the truth, she really cares about all of you. She really cares about all of you, and she's really de- dedicated to. Uh, uh, to every single one of you and your families, you know, that we should be able to grow together, so thank you for that. Okay, so, so as my wife said, no, it's coming close to Rosh Hashanah, so we have to discuss a little bit of Rosh Hashanah, but we also, all of you were involved in the mitzvah of challah, uh, separating challah. So, uh, so I decided I'll talk about both, spend a few minutes talking about the mitzvah, the concept of challah, and the concept of Rosh Hashanah. The truth is, those two topics might seem initially to be unrelated to each other, but it's not such, not just a, such a stretch to, uh, to connect them. We know that on Rosh Hashanah, so we call Rosh Hashanah, in Daviding davening of Rosh Hashanah, everyone knows that's Hayom Haras Olam. Rosh Hashanah is called the day that Hashem created the world, the beginning of creation. But the truth is we know that that's not 100% accurate. The first day of creation was in fact the 25th day of El. The first day of Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah, was the sixth day of creation. That was the day that Hashem created Adam and Chava, the crowning jewel of reality, the human being. And Chazal have an interesting way of describing Adam and Chava. There's a number of places in Chazal where Chazal describe Adam and Chava as the Chala of the world, Khala of the world. And so in a certain sense, Rosh Hashanah, which is not the first day of creation, but the sixth day of creation, it's when we celebrate that's really what, what's going on. Where we're celebrating on a cosmic, spiritual level, the Rabbanishalm is separating Khal. The Rabbanu Shalom is taking from the whole world with uh, cats and dogs and cows and dandelions. And the Rabbanu Shalom is separating what's most precious and what's most divine, and that's the human being. That's called the Khal of the world. That's why, you know, the, uh, of, technically the mitzvah separating khal is something that a man can do as well. But we know that it's one of the mitzvahs that are dedicated to women, and Chazal say that one of the reasons for that is because it's trying to be masaking, trying to fix the mistake of Chava, who, who, in Chazal's language, because of listening to the Nachash, brought down Chala, caused damage to that reality that's called Chala, Adam and Chava, called the Chal of the world. So women, every time you're ma'afrish Chala, you're fixing that inion of what, what went wrong in Ganei so that's an interesting thing that the Jewish people, that Adam and called the Chal of the world. So Rosh Hashanah is connected with Chal. So I guess that's what we have to figure out. The more we can understand what the name of Chal is, and what's the concept behind separating Chal what, what you guys just did, so that itself will shed light on Rosh Hashanah. So two birds with one stone. Okay, so it's like this. So let me share with you uh, a number of questions that come up when it comes to Chal, even like halachically, and, uh, and we'll see where it takes us. So it's like this. A little bit of background. You know, when it comes to mitzvahs, there are generally like two different categories of mitzvahs. There are mitzvahs which are called mitzvahs hatzluyes ba'aretz, agricultural-based mitzvahs, mitzvahs that are related to the ground, to agriculture. And whenever you're dealing with mitzvahs of that category, the classic rule is that they, on a biblical level, they only apply in Eretz israel If it's an agricultural-based mitzvah, so what's a, what's an example of an agricultural-based mitzvah, mitzvah that's connected to land? So say Shemitah, right? Not working the land every seventh year. Or separating Shumas and Meisr, separating tithes. If you have a farm and so on, you're growing uh, wheat and barley, so you have to take off a certain percentage to, the give, to give to the Kohen and the Levi and so on. That, those are agricultural-based mitzvahs Is related to... Uh, to agriculture, to land, and so those only apply to Eretz Yisrael. and then you have mitzvahs that are not based on land, uh, keeping Shabbos, right, or keeping kashas. It's not related to any land. It's not related to things that grow from the ground, and that applies to everywhere. What's interesting is, is like this: How would you define challah? Is challah an agricultural-based mitzvah or not? So. What the answer is, the answer is that in halacha, chala is defined as an agricultural-based mitzvah. And technically speaking, therefore, the mitzvah of chala really only applies in Eretz The fact that you separated chala over here in Lawrence, that's only mid it's only rabbinic. Biblically speaking, the mitzvah of separating chala is only in Eretz It's defined as an agricultural-based mitzvah. But here's the problem. The problem is why. We understand that when it comes to taking off other tithes, right, trumas and meisers, that's agricultural. You know why? Because when is a farmer supposed to take off truma? When is he supposed to separate meiser? That's when he harvests his wheat or barley or whatever it is, and it's still in its natural form. So when you have this stalk of wheat and you look at it, what what hits you right away when you see a stalk of wheat is it came from the ground. And so because of that. Since the the obligation is to separate a certain percentage for the Kohen and the Levi when it's still a stalk of wheat, so that's called an agricultural mitzvah. But when is the obligation to separate chala? When it's still a stalk of wheat? No. The obligation to separate chala, not only is it not when it's a stalk of wheat, even when you ground it into flour, you're still not obligated to separate chala. When when, When does the opportunity and the obligation to separate chala kick in? When you mix it with water. At that point when it becomes dough, it's far, far from its original natural state to the point of where you look at dough, what doesn't immediately hit you is that this comes from the ground, right? If you, uh, if you came from Mars and you had no background in terms of uh, food and things like that, the last thing you would think when you see a piece of dough or when you see it baked into a piece of bread, the last thing we think of that it comes from the ground. So here's the question, question number one, it comes to Chal if the obligation to separate challah only kicks in at a point of where it's very far from its original natural state as coming from the ground then why would it be defined as an agricultural mitzvah it's already very far from its origin point that's question number one question number two there's an interesting halacha when it comes to when it comes to separating challah so you made a bracha yeah What's the bracha that you make? It's a bracha to Hashem al kinam al So far, regular. fresh, huh? Oh, you didn't do it yet. Okay, so fine. Spoiler alert: You're going to make a bracha. Okay, la chala min ha'isa. chala min The mitzvah we're thanking Hashem that we're going to separate chala from the dough. Okay. So there's there's a number of problems that that uh, come up by thinking about that text. Okay. So it's like this. What does the word chala mean? So I'll give you a little bit of like the historical background. In Chumish, when you separate, that piece of dough that you separate, that, that now is a special piece, and back you know, in the days of the base of Migdish, you would give it to the coin and so on. That piece was not called chala. In Chumish, that piece is called truma. The word truma means to elevate and to separate. So that piece is called truma. Okay. The, where does it come from that we call it chala? In the language of Mishnayis, already way past Chumash, the language of Mishnayis, that became, the term became Chala. What's interesting is, is that the word Chala in Chumash is a word to describe the rest of the dough. So like in Chumash, the piece of dough that you separate is called Shuma, and the rest is called Chala. Interestingly enough, later on in the times of Mishnayis, it became that that piece of dough that you separate also is called Chala. And that's that and that's how we talk as well, right? So the piece that we separate is called Khala, and the rest of it we call khala too. But here's the problem. The question is, is that when it comes to the text of a bracha, the, 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 the classic rule is that the text of a bracha is always is always uh, you know is always created based on the language of Chumash. That's usually how the text of brachas go. And so the question is: instead of saying Lahafish chala in Isa describing that piece of Doa as chale, which is a more rabbinic, later-generation term, if we're, if we're saying a bracha, we should use the more biblical term, which would be laafresh chuma m'nei'isa. And the truth is, I don't know if you have any svardim here, but maybe you maybe should know. I, 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 believe, I believe that tzvardim, that's how they make the bracha, I think. That the nusach that tzvardim say is laafresh chuma m'nei'isa. And that seems to be more correct, it's more authentic, it's more original. That the word is not challah. That's a a later day invention to call that piece of dough challah. Really, that piece is called shulma. So why would we call? Why would we at least by Ashkenazim? Why would we deviate from the language that Torah uses to call shulma and we call it challah, which really is a word that's more appropriate for the rest of the dough. Another problem is is that in the text you say, to separate that piece of isa from the rest of the dough. Why is that, those two words necessary, from the rest of the dough? Okay, where else am I separating it from? The, I don't have to, in the text of the bracha, I don't then go on to detail, oh, by the way, and this isa, this dough, has water in it, and has eggs, and it's, like, it's unnecessary. The bracha should just be straightforward. Thank you, Hashem, and everything, Hashem, and so on that you commanded us with the mitzvah, of separating Chal, or separating Chum, or whatever the word is. Where is it separated from? Uh, why is that part of the Nusuch as well? Right, those are the questions. Okay. So it's like this. So every Rosh Hashanah we know the Rabbani Shalom does something amazing. He did it, the first Rosh Hashanah, as Hashem, can continue to do with this Rosh Hashanah as well, which is, he creates the world. Now there's something, there, there, in, in, in Chassidus we find that there's a certain term that descri- that's a, a description of the world that we live in. And that is Alma de piruda, Alma de piruda is Aramaic, it means a world of division, of complexity, of, constant, of things constantly changing. It's the nature of reality that whatever, whatever something is right now, automatically it's probably going to be different tomorrow. Things change, things age things become more complicated very very rarely does something just stay as is if you want to keep something as is you got to put an effort to keep it like that if you have a tree and someone it's only natural that it's going to get more leaves and if you want to keep it to a particular size you got to trim the leaves the nature of reality is once they the when that, that first you know day so to speak when Hashem began this you know this program this project called creation he said let there be light ever since then everything becomes more and more complicated, more and more different from where it started. That's the nature of life. But here's, here's, but here's the issue. The issue is, is that we don't necessarily think of it like this, but every Rosh Hashanah, when the Rabbana creates the world, reality, it's going to sound a little bit funny, but this is the truth, reality itself has a certain, there's a certain... Uh, discomfort, I guess you can say. Reality itself has a certain question or a certain discomfort in itself. Nate, See, what was before creation? Let me, let me go from this angle. What was before creation? What was before creation? All there was was one simple truth, which is God. And all of a sudden, the Rabbani creates the universe, and now the universe makes a lot of its own noise, and the universe is constantly, constantly moving away from that origin point. And you know what? The universe itself feels guilty over its own existence. Because reality itself questions and thinks to itself, maybe, the fact that that God created me is very, very nice and I appreciate that, but my very existence really is a contradiction to Hashem's kingdom, to Hashem's malchus, to to Hashem's world, to what was before. Before me, says the universe. All there was was one simple, obvious truth, and all of a sudden, now that I'm here, uh, now things are complicated, and more than that, and things keep on getting more and more complicated. Things, things are constantly moving away from their origin point, and as reality goes on, reality itself is is saddened, is um, begins to think of itself as the greatest the HaShem to exist. What was the greatest Chil HaShem to ever happen? So if I ask that question, I've asked this before, usually there's uh, the eagle, right? Or, uh, you know, uh, maybe the Holocaust, I don't know, things like that. But if you think about it, the greatest Chil HaShem is creation itself. Because what was before creation? There was one simple truth of God. And ever since creation, now you could, get, you could forget about that original point you could lose sight of that, and we could get lost in all the constant changes of life. So there's a there, so the, what happens in Rosh Hashanah is an interesting thing. The Rabbanu creates the world, but the world that is created thinks of itself as this dark, dingy, this this dark, dingy, uh, 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 difficult place that's actually blocking truth. And there's a certain, and there's a certain. Pain and question that reality has on itself is, am why am I here? Why am I here? You know, the Chazal say that when Hashem decided to create the human being, or before He created the human being, there was a group of Malachim that questioned Hashem about this. They "God, why are you doing this? Why are you creating a world before the world? Everything's fine. There's God. There's angels. Maybe everything's valid." There's no questions. There's nothing there's nothing that could stand in in, a, in the way of God's light. Everything the truth is obvious. The truth of Hashem Shemakhrez is, is clear. All of a sudden there's a reality there's creation and now things get complicated. And people could could lose sight of that origin point. And there's a good reason for it because every single moment we're constantly moving farther away from that origin point and things are becoming more and more complicated and more and more and, and, and 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 more and more complex and different from where it all started. The job of a Jew, therefore, in Rosh Hashanah. By the way, this is why Rosh Hashanah, the day of creation, the Passock describes it as a day of actually Hester Panim, of concealment. It says in Shaifer, blow the shaifer on Rosh Hashanah. And what is Rosh Hashanah? Chagenu, a yantif that's celebrating concealment. Concealment. Because that's really what, if you think about it, that's what happened. The Rosh Hashanah, the decided to create a world which is now blocking and concealing His presence. So the question, so so, so so the, the the result of that is is that reality itself is questions its own purpose, questions its own legitimacy, questions its own right to be. Maybe reality itself, reality itself, the universe itself feels that its very existence is the opposite of truth and the opposite of light, and we're standing in our own way. So what's the job of the Jewish people in Rosh Hashanah? And this is something new. Maybe many of you have never heard this as being the Ikra avayd of Rosh Hashanah, but this is it. The Ikra avayd of Rosh Hashanah is to calm the universe down. The Ikra avayd of Rosh Hashanah is to proclaim to the universe that although it's true on the outside, before creation, all there was was God. And all there was was one absolute, simple truth of God's presence. And now there's a tent, and now there's uh, the five towns, and there's gas stations, and 7 and Amazon rainforests, and Amazon. And there's all, all sorts of complicated, multifaceted stuff to confuse us and to block us from seeing that origin point that it all came from. And because of that, all of reality is questioning its legitimacy and questioning its place what am I here for my very existence is rooted on concealing God's presence and that's a sad thing to think about the job of the Jewish people on Rosh Hashanah is to proclaim to ourselves and the whole universe that the universe shouldn't have that question because despite all the complexity and despite all the multiplicity and despite the constant change and the constant evolution and the constant innovation and 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 uh, redefinition of, of life every single moment of every single day, despite the fact that everything's moving away from that origin point, the Jewish people are here to proclaim that our very existence is that we don't forget where we come from. And within all the complexity of this world, not for one second has it blinded us from the root of where it all comes from, if anything. All of reality is just giving us more ways to find where we originally come from. The truth of Rosh Hashanah, the proclamation, the Jewish people's of Rosh Hashanah, every single one of us is to proclaim that the Rabbanu Shalom, just as you were the absolute single truth before creation, as far as we're concerned, you're still that absolute single truth after creation. And nothing has changed as far as our perspective. And we're not going to get lost in the sideshow and all these, all these things of constant changing. We don't get lost in that. We see all these changes and all, these, uh, and all the complexities of life and reality itself, not as a block, not as a hester him not as a concealment of God's presence. But this is just, now that you have a world of a trillion pieces, these are just another trillion ways how we could come closer to God and how we can appreciate God more. And this is the secret of Rosh Hashanah. It's like with the sound of the shayfar, right? Everyone knows that the sound of the shayfar is basically broken down into three parts. You have a takiyah, and then you have something in between of broken sounds, shvarim trua, shvarim trua, and so on. And then you have takiyah at the end. And that, that, that unit of takiyah, shvarim trua, takiyah, that's how we proclaim Hashem as king. Why, of all things, why not use a, use a bugle? I don't know. Or just hold up a bulletin board, you know? Let everyone just pay for a billboard somewhere that Hashem is our king. We have to have a shoi for And yeah, So what does it mean to make Hashem our king? Does any of you have any connection at all? I mean, honestly, any of you have any connection, like emotionally, to a king? I, I don't. So what does it mean to proclaim Hashem as king? You know what a king means? The word melech, the word melech, the job of a king is to create stability. That's what a king does, right? What would happen if you were to have a country, God forbid, that doesn't have a, doesn't have a strong government? You know what happens? Anarchy, craziness. Everyone's killing each other and swallowing each other alive. You don't want to live in a country like that. What you want is to have a country that has a melech, that has a strong government, not a, not a tyranny, but a, a healthy, organized, well-run government, to create stability, well, we, When we talk about Hashem being the king, what we're saying is, is that although when you go in life, it seems like a jungle, and it seems like it's constantly changing, and it's constantly shifting, and there's a million distractions, and I'm pulled this way, and I'm pulled that way, and even when I'm pulled this way, I'm pulled in a million directions in that direction, and over here, in a million directions in that direction, and tomorrow, who knows what tomorrow's going to bring, for sure it's going to be different than today. And all that conjures up a sense of instability, because I don't know what's going to be. And I don't know what's going to be right. Comes Rosh Hashanah, one of the by Ashkenazim at least, one of the 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 the, the most. Um, I can't say if by some people are inspired by this, some people not. But it's certainly a, a point that everyone knows about, which is like Nisanat Ta'kev, right? Me, Yechia, Mi. Who's going to live? Who's going to die? In what way? and what? Who's rich? Who's poor? And there's no answer to that. It's not like after that paragraph, okay, and now I'll tell you who. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Because Rosh Hashanah means, I don't know what's going to be. But here's the question. Here's the avoid of Rosh Hashanah. How do you respond to that? Do, is the response is, well, you know, yeah, I, I, I talk, I have no idea. And I feel, because of that, extremely vulnerable, extremely doubtful, extremely unsafe. And deeper than that, I question the very purpose of my existence. Why would God put me in a world where everything is constantly changing. Everything is unstable. And that's the opposite of where everything came from, which was absolute stability and God, all there was was God. So everything is stable. The avoid of a Jew and Rosh Hashanah is to look all of that instability in the eye and say, Hashem Melech, that Hashem is the King. And despite all what looks on the outside is instability, I believe with absolute faith that nothing has changed. Just as before creation, all there was was God and that was solid ground and everything was absolutely clear and one, so too after creation, despite the fact that it looks like a million pieces which should result in a sense of instability and a sense of insecure, insecurity and a, and, a, and a questioning of what the purpose of all of this is, the avoid of Rosh Hashanah is to say, despite all of that, the neshama of a Jew is able to hone in and to pick up on the Hashem Mecha that still exists. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is to face the Nusana Taikiv, me this, me that, me that, and say, you know what, I don't know, but I still feel stable. I still feel His ground under my feet. And I still feel that just as God was king before creation, which means that everything was stable, and it was a solid government, I feel the same way now. Even if I don't feel it, I proclaim it. I believe in it. The Indian of Rosh Hashanah is there for Tikiya, which means that before creation, straight, simple, absolute oneness, unchanging, it's God. And then you have creation, on the outside it seems, shvaram truah, all over the place, unstable, doubtful, insecure, I'm not sure what the, where my place is in this world, reality itself is questioning, if, if its if its existence is shvaram truah, right, that chaos, and that constant shift, and that constant change, and that's the opposite of where we came from as takiyah, then, then our existence is 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 repelling Hashem's kingdom and that and that makes reality itself zabrochen and upset over its own existence so what does the jewish people do we do tikkia we do shvarim shua, but then we do tikkia again because rashi shon is proclaiming that hashem is the same king just as he was absolutely the only thing the only truth before creation he remains that only truth and behind the scenes of all the change of this world Nothing has changed. And that's the secret of Rosh Hashanah. To look at everything that in the past year and all the changes and ups and downs and chaos and turmoil and positive and negatives of this past year and to gaze in the future and the uncertainty of the future, which I'm not sure ups and downs and positives and negatives. And Sach HaKal, what's the sum total of all of that? Ain Aymavaday, all there is is God. That's Rosh Hashanah. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by being overwhelmed about the din and the judgment. And don't get distracted by the other things that come up when it comes to making yantiv. The ikra of Rosh is this point, which is to look at all the, the nature of reality, which is constantly changing, but to fortify your amuna that nothing's changed. That it's the same God that's been running the show before creation. He's the same God running the show right now with absolute simple truth. And everything in your life, up and down and sideways, is all bringing you to one simple destination, which is back to God. That's it. That's a Tekiyah, shvarim trua That's why the name Hashem, Yudkevavke, right? So it's a, it's a combination, as we know. is Haya, hayve right? Hashem was is and will be. That's not just telling you a historical fact that God was, He is, and He's always going to be. That's telling you the plan. That's telling you the plan of history. That there was, there was an origin point that everything came from, which was Hashem Echad, and then you have the present, which is all over the place. And it seems that sometimes the, you know, sort of the, uh, the conveyor belt of life is taking you this way, and sometimes it's taking you that way sometimes up, sometimes down, so it's all over, but you should know that the final destination is to go back to where it all came from. But when you go back to where it all comes from, it doesn't mean to undo all of this, but it means to come back to God with a much more profound and multifaceted appreciation of who that God is. See, it's no different than, you know, I mean, this is a bad example. It's like... it's a little bit of like a heretical example but you, you know, understand let's say you're like reading a book or something so everyone knows that when you have a character the more the more multifaceted the personality the more the more intriguing the personality is the more you're interested two-dimensional you know good guy bad guy no one cares about that you want multifaceted so you know before creation if you asked, like, the Jewish soul or whatever it is, yes, the Malachim, like, who is God? They'd say, oh, God is, God's amazing. But you don't really know who God is. But only when you go through life and life is taking you up and down and sideways and everything in between. And despite all of that complexity, all of that still leads back to the one God. Now you know how amazing God is. Now you know how absolutely one God is. That despite all the all the trillion pieces of, of the middle shvarim and trua, it never and for one second stood in the way of God's oneness. When we proclaim every day Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Hashem achad, and by the way, that is the pasuk that really sums up Rashi Hashanah too—that Hashem is one. What does it mean Hashem is one? To say Hashem is one means that Hashem is so one, and his and the malchus of Hashem is so stable. That despite all the craziness of this world, none of that craziness was able to move that stability of God even one second. And all of your choices and all of our choices to go this way, to go that way, not for one second, altered God's plan for us. Which is an amazing thing, because we believe in free will, right? But when God created your soul and he brought you to this world, he he wasn't playing dice. He wasn't playing a game like, I hope this works out. When God brought you into the world X number of years ago, it was because He, dis- he saw a vision of what your life is supposed to be and the tzaddikas that you're supposed to become. And God's not playing games. That's a guarantee that it's going to work out. I, I still have free will. I could go this way, I could go that way. True. But at the end of the day, whatever decision you make, it's always going to go back to that one decision, that one origin point that God had in mind for you. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is about: looking at all of that multiplicity, that chaos in the middle, and realizing that, it not, that with all of that being said, it not at all affected, not a kihuza. It didn't deviate from God's plan at all. This is a tkiyah shvarim true and This is the secret of challah. I started in the beginning with the question of challah: is why would challah be defined as an agricultural-based mitzvah? The challah kicks in. When what? When it's far, far different from its origin point. The answer is, the secret of the mitzvah of challah is the secret of Rosh Hashanah. The secret of the mitzvah of challah is that despite the fact that you look at a piece of dough, and this looks very different from a a stalk of wheat, the secret of challah is it's the same stalk of wheat. It's the same stalk of wheat. And the fact that it's different, that's only superficial. But the same stalk of wheat that was in the beginning is the same stalk of wheat that it is now. And when I'm separating challah, it's no different than the classic halacha of separating tithes and so on from stalks of wheat. It's an agricultural-based mitzvah. And that's why when the Torah calls that piece of dough that we separate truma, the word truma is a word that's used for that piece of dough, but primarily the word truma is used for when we take off a percentage of our crops and give it to the coin. And so we, we don't find such an idea of taking off truma by anything that's not agricultural. And so the fact that Chala by the Torah, called truma, is really more a redefinition of the entire dough than it is just about that particular piece. By calling that piece truma, which is a term that's usually used, that's, that's, that's almost exclusively used for a piece of, a, a, a piece that's being separated from a piece of wheat and a piece of a stalk of wheat and something, something that's literally from the ground and we're using that in association with, a, with dough, it means that the whole essence of the mitzvah of challah is that as different as this dough might look, it's not different at all. Its origin point, it's, what it was in its earliest state, which is a stalk of wheat, it's still defined by that. And just as a stalk of wheat we take off truma, so so too you take off truma from this dough. Ah, this dough doesn't look like wheat anymore, it still is. The, the secret of challah is itself the secret of Rosh Hashanah. When you separate challah from a dough, you're not just taking off a piece. What you're, what you're saying and what you're establishing and what you're proclaiming is that as different and as, as, as altered as this entire dough might be and might seem from how it started... It hasn't changed at all. And in terms of my perspective, I'm seeing this as just a a a as just a stalk of wheat or, or 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 something that still carries with it the the definition of how it started. It still carries with it the identity of what it was in its beginning. And when you when you say that for this particular piece of dough, in truth what you're saying that about is really the entire universe. Because we know, for example, in Hebrew, the word lechem, which means bread, which is what the dough is going to be turned into. The word lechem, although it means bread literally, technically, <coughs> the word lechem also is a borrowed term that's, uh, that's used for all things of this world. So for example, it says in Pasuk, A person doesn't live on bread alone. That Pasuk doesn't, isn't, doesn't just mean bread. The word lechem over there means all all food, all things, everything of this world that we that we live with. We're not living just with that alone. We're living with God's help, and so the word lechem is a much bro- in a broader sense refers to everything of this world. And so when you have that batch of dough, and you're separating a piece from it, and that piece that you're separating in the Torah is described as truma. And it's something that's akin and it's similar to the concept of taking off truma from a stalk of wheat. And the halacha of challah is that it's an agricultural-based mitzvah and it's only considered to be an obligation biblically, only in Eretz Yisrael because it's an agricultural-based mitzvah. What you're proclaiming is is that everything of this world is is still defined based on how it started. And although everything started off Within the context of Hashem's kingdom, with that stability of absolute oneness and simplicity. And ever since then it's been Shwarm Chua, and things have constantly shifted and taken different shapes and different forms and different personalities and more complex things and more confusing situations and more instability. When you separate challah and you proclaim that that piece of dough that I'm taking off of the of this of uh, from the rest of dough, as far as I'm concerned, is the same thing as if I'm taking off a stalk of wheat from amongst many stalks of wheat. What you're proclaiming is that just as God has been king before creation, He's as much a king as as now after creation. Nothing's changed. He was, He is, and He will be. This is why, when we make the bracha, we don't use the language of truma. We use the language of challah. Why? Because, as I said, the word challah, although chazal use it to describe that particular piece of dough, but the word challah really is a word that describes the entire dough. Right? What, the whole thing is called challah. We're, we're going to bake it into challah. <coughs> and so, by using that word, la'avr chalam in haisa, what we're trying to remind ourselves is that what I'm doing right now by separating this piece of dough is really redefining for me what the entire batch is about, what the entire dough is, and what the entire world is. It's not just about that particular piece. It's about what, how this piece reorients my perspective towards the entire dough, that this entire dough, as far as I'm concerned, is still a stalk of wheat, and that means the whole world, as far as I'm concerned, is still in that place of Hashem Melech. It's still in that place of absolute oneness and truth and stability. And everything in my life, as crazy and as chaotic as it might, as it might have been, as far as I'm concerned, nothing's changed. And it's still based on its origin point, And it's still bound and guided by its origin point. And it's as stable as it was before all this chaos and all this craziness set in. It is Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> Min ha'isa, we also make a reference to the rest of the dough. Min ha'isa, because again, that's the point of challah. Challah, we want to, we want us to realize and to remember <coughs> that challah is not just a mitzvah that is focused on that particular piece. By separating that piece of dough, we're reminding ourselves and redefining the entire batch and the entire world altogether. So instead of saying la'avrish truma, which should just be focusing on that particular piece. We say l'hafresh shchala. we use the word chala, which really is a, in a broad sense, the word chala really means the entire dough. And we say specifically, min isa from the rest of the dough. We want to bring the rest of the dough into the mitzvah of chala, because the, the essence of chala is redefining the entire dough. That as different as it might look, in halacha, it's the same as it was in the beginning, and that's why I'm able to separate challah because it's an agric- It's still a piece of agriculture. It's still, it's still, it's still stalks of wheat. As far as, as far as we're concerned, it's a redefinition of the entire dough, and by and and and, and, uh, and by extension, a redefinition of all of life. It is Rosh Hashanah. This is why Adam and Chava are called the challah of creation. <laughs> because this is the main job of the human being. This is the main job of the Jew. When Hashem created the human being on that Friday, and that's the day that we celebrate as Rosh Hashanah. The reason why the, why the human being is the crowning jewel of creation is because the job of the human being is now to look around the world that has been created a few days earlier, and to look at the world and say, I know that you guys, you you know, rabbits and mushrooms and uh, Amazon rainforest. I know you all think that you're very different. I know that you all think that you're disconnected from where you come from and you're all just running in chaos, just and who knows what's going to be tomorrow. But Adam and Chava, as the Chal of the world, proclaim on Rosh Hashanah the day they were created that what? Nothing's changed. We still carry with us a memory of what was before creation, and that's still what we see right now. What says the Neshama says Adam and Chava, what was before creation, all there was was God's Malchaza, God's kingdom, and God's absolute oneness. That's all we're seeing now. And that's what we do on Rosh Hashanah. We look at the world around us. We look at our lives. We look at all the instability and all the chaos and all the shvarm and of life and we say, just as there was a takiyah before, so too there's going to be a takiyah after. And even right now, the underlying essence is just takiyah. That's ultimately what it is. That's why when the Pasig describes, it's interesting, the Pasig that, that is the source for the obligation of blowing Trua or shwarm Trua as part of the units of blowing Shaifar. We blow Taqiya and we blow Trua, we blow shwarm Trua and so on. The Pusseks that is the source of that is actually interesting. The Pussek says, Usakatem Trua. Usakatem Trua means that you should blow a Trua. But the word that the Pussek uses to blow a Trua is the word Taqiya. Utakatem Trua is a funny thing. It should say, Vahariu Trua, that you should blow a Trua. Or usakatem tekkiyah, you know, blow a tekkiyah. Usakatem trua means that even when you're blowing a trua, really what you're blowing is a tekkiyah. Really behind the scenes is a tekkiyah. The trua is being packaged and sandwiched and all encompassed by the tekkiyah. Because that's exactly the job of the, Jew, of the Jew on Rosh Hashanah, and that's exactly what the mitzvah challah is that you look at a dough and it looks different, it looks like all complicated and a mixture of seven ingredients all together, all different stuff. In truth, it's one simple. Ingredient, which is, it's still a stalk of wheat. That's all it is. That's all it is. And that's why I'm separating challah as if it's still a piece of uh, uh, of wheat that I have to tithe. That's exactly what's going on with the mitzvah challah. And that's our avoidance when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, to be able to look at all the chaos and to say, Hashem Melech, Hashem Melech, Hashem And this is how a Jew is able to do tshuva. We know that Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of a serzimit tshuva. A person can't do tshuva unless... You can't do tshuva while you're thinking that your very existence is in conf- conflict with God. If a person thinks that his very essence and his existence is taking up space in Hashem's universe, and the more space you take up, it means less space that God takes up, and your existence is a contradiction to Hashem Echad, then how can you do tshuva like that? So you could you could accumulate mitzvahs And they sort of like barter with God to make up for the fact that you exist. But that's not a healthy tshuva. The essence of tshuva, to begin to do tshuva properly, is to first realize that your very existence is not in conflict with God's existence. That you are an extension of Hashem's universe, you're a piece of Hashem's universe. And your job here is to remind yourself and the world around you that nothing's changed. Hashem was the only real existence and the only real solid ground before creation. And that's still true. And everything in the world is not inherently evil and blocking that truth. Everything here is seen within the context of Hashem Echad and, is therefore, and therefore can be seen as a way of expressing just the, a different nuance of that oneness of Hashem. When a person is able to look at the chaos of life and the instability of life and say, Wow, I still believe in Hashem being in control and being underneath this wall then all that chaos is then turned into a vehicle to express a, a much deeper appreciation of God's oneness and a much deeper belief in Hashem's stability. And, and then everything is, defi- is redefined as, as, as a tool to connect you deeper to Hashem, as opposed to being something that's blocking you between you and Hashem. That's what Rosh Hashan is about. <coughs> so let me end off with a quick story. I mentioned this night, so for those of you that uh, were there or that were listening, so it'll be a little bit of Chazorah, but no, the Chazorah story is not so bad. So somebody says like this, there was a big tzaddik, Ramatullah, a a number of year, 100 years ago, 250 years ago. So he was a big tzaddik, a big chassidish Rebbe, and the custom that he had was that before Rosh Hashanah time, he would travel to the surrounding shtetlach, to go give to be mechazik, and you know to inspire people, get them ready for yontif. So the story goes that he came to a particular town to uh, give a shmuz, and that's what he did. He came, he gave a drusha, he inspired everyone. It was very nice. So after the shmuz was over, so a, a number of the people, townspeople, came over to him and said, "You know, Rabbi, we have a big problem. Maybe you could help us." He said, "Sure. What's what's the problem? Let see if I could help." So he said, "The problem is we're having a problem with the parts." The parts, that was the land, landowner that sort of owned the entire shtetl and everyone was sort of, uh, you know, renting from him and in a certain sense employees of his. And he sort of had full range, he could do whatever he wants, he can imprison a person, he could take their property. He was sort of above the law. And very often, unfortunately, these people were not, not Jewish and uh, anti-Semites. And so this parts was giving them a hard time. And so they're asking the Rebbe to help. And so the Rebbe says, You know, what am I supposed to do? It? You know, there's only so much influence I can have over a Geisha partz." So they tell, No, Rebbe, you know, this paritz, he's, he's definitely anti religious and he's giving us problems, but he's Jewish. So maybe the Rebbe can do something. Okay, so the Rebbe says, You know, if he is a Jew, maybe, uh, maybe I, could, I could try. So the Rebbe tells us, Gabayim, that tomorrow morning we're going to just go with our whole entourage. Let's just go to the paritz's house and we'll see what happens. We're not going to try to get invited. We're just going to go. Okay. So the next morning, the Rebbe gets into the wagon, and there's a whole caravan of, of him and his chasidim, and they're all traveling to the castle of the parts. <clears throat> and they, you know, as the wagon, as this caravan is approaching his property, so the parts hears the noise coming, so he goes out to his balcony to see what's going on. He's standing there with a pipe, his arms folded in a very uh, aggressive, defensive stance, and he's standing there watching this whole caravan come. He doesn't know what's going on. Meanwhile, the caravan pulls up, the door opens from the first carriage, and out walks the tzaddik. And the tzaddik looks at the castle and he fa- and he sees the balcony, and he sees the parts standing on the balcony, and he locks eyes with him. And they're staring at each other for a few seconds. And after a few seconds, the parts leaves the balcony, goes into his house, and then a few seconds later, you know, 15 seconds later or so, the door opens, and it's the parts. And he sort of, without saying anything, motions to the rebbe that the rebbe should come in. So as the rebbe walks in, and no words are being exchanged. They're just looking at each other. The parts walks to the dining room, pulls up a chair, and the rebbe pulls up a chair across from him. The rebbe sits there and just stares at him. They're just staring at each other. <clears throat> so the rebbe is staring at him. The parts is staring back, but in that defensive look, that steely defensive look. This is going on for two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of just literally staring at each other. And after about 15 or 20 minutes or so, what happens is, is that all of a sudden the eyes of the parts begin to soften. And that steely, cold glaze begins to, begins to shift, begins to change. His body, his body posture, his body language begins to shift as well. He begins to soften up and he begins to actually cry. Tears well up in his eyes And he begins to cry At that moment The Rebbe says Shine Enough The Rabbi gets up And leaves And he tells the townsfolk He says Listen everything's going to be fine Don't worry about it A few days later is Rosh Hashanah And the town is Davining Rosh Hashanah All of a sudden In the middle of Davini, The doors of the Shul open And this Yid is there With a talus Completely covering his face No one can see who he is And he just goes And the little Shul Plops himself down And he's sitting there The whole davening With Bechiyahs Crying Mamish like a big, big avoida by this Jew. Now, in a small shtetl like that, everyone knows each other. So everyone's looking around the room, like everyone's accounted for, like, who is this guy? Until they realize the truth that this guy was the parts. This guy was the parts. And he was doing tshuva. And the rest is history. Now, what is that? What was going on? The, the, no communication. The rabbi didn't, didn't say anything to him. It was just that look. How do you make such a look? How do you, what does it feel to be looked like that? I don't know. But when the tzaddik was looking at him, certainly what he was doing was reminding the parts that you come from Avram Avinu. You're a yid, and that's your origin point. And you might have turned yourself into a shvara in a million ways. But where you come from is still where you are. And whether you like it or not, it's where you're going to be. And that's what was happening with that look of the tzaddik. It was reminding the parts of who he was, which is who he is, and ultimately who he's going to be. And that's ultimately what Rosh Hashanah is about. No, we should be to connect to Rosh Hashanah properly, to remind ourselves that who we are, where we come from, is exactly who still we are right now and who we're going to become. And I have to proclaim to the whole world that as crazy as this world might look in Tav Bay slash Tav Pei Gimel, nothing's changed. Atu, oilam Hashem, you're God before creation. You're still God after creation. Hashem Melech, Hashem Melech, Hashem, Melech, Hashem Yimlech, shol be to have a shana tov musuka, a year of shavuot bracha and atzlacha, a year of nachas and simcha on all levels. V'yiskol tzedek, miher v'imei no amei.